It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. By the way, first, before we get into all of this stuff, and there's quite a bit that we are going to get into, we did not, in the last Dubcast, give congratulations to the Columbus crew on winning an MLS championship. I think that's kick-ass. I think that's freaking out. Did you watch any of the game, by the way? I, I, I did not watch any of the game, but I, but I have Sad. to say, you know, this, like, I was super excited because I, I know a lot of people who were really invested in the Save the Crew movement. Like, I, I, I won't pretend that uh, I'm, you know, a big backer of, of MLS soccer. Mm. Uh, I'm one of those casual fans that loves to watch the World Cup. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, World Cup's sick. Yeah, you can, you can kind of get into that. And, and uh, but, but I will say one of my favorite, like, live sports um, experiences was, was going to Montpre Stadium. Before it was Montpre Stadium, like, I went back in my radio days 20 years ago um you know, with some friends to to a crew match i don't remember who they played but i remember like this was a great live experience crew, crew um soccer jackets hockey like there's some great sports experiences in columbus so i was super excited yeah. for the crew for all my friends who were very involved in the uh save the crew movement the other thing i have to say um so so i belong to the columbus rotary club and during you know on the tail end of the save the crew movement like after it was already done and and we were all in the celebration phase that the crew were staying in columbus um dr edwards and um, d haslam spoke at our rotary club meeting about the whole process and just listening to them talk about that process and and more importantly hearing hearing dr edwards like passion for the columbus crew was just I mean, it sort of rubs off on you. Like, just he's so enthusiastic and passionate about not just the sport, but the team and what the club means to the city of Columbus. So, right. you know, and, and like, could you write a better story than, you know, a year after <laughs> going? They're almost this? gone. Yeah. I mean, oh, you know, yes. Course, I mean, they, and a year later to hoist the cup. It, I mean, that's just, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was pretty great. And what I really love is that when that new stadium's completed, they're gonna have a nice shiny banner to hang immediately. That's gonna be lit. So I I thought it was pretty great. Congrats to them. And of course, this is the segue. Congrats to the Ohio State Buckeyes football team for winning their fourth consecutive Big Ten championship in a game where I you know, again. The best part about being an Ohio State fan is, uh, as our, our friend DJ put it, finding ways to just have a mental breakdown uh, over a 10-point victory, right? When you were favored by double Losing like, our minds. Yeah. So, you know, look, it's understandable if somebody saw Justin Fields' performance and went like, I don't know about this. But, but I, I got to believe that's got to be tempered by the greatest individual rushing performance you've ever seen an Ohio State football player put on. I – that's got to be – I look, my I, – I, I tweeted about this, actually, and this is true. My first Ohio State memory that I really have a solid grasp on is Eddie George running oh, yeah. for 300-plus, 314 yards against Illinois. That's something that sticks in my head really strongly because I was like, who is this dude just destroying people run after run after run? And that's really got what got me interested in, in football, honestly. I was like 10 years old or 9 years old when that happened. And uh, it was awesome. And this was awesome. Trey Sermon coming out of freaking nowhere, although he had a couple of good games before this, but coming out of nowhere, really, and just putting on the performance of a lifetime. I, I got to tell you something, man. Whatever else Ohio State fans might be nervous about, the secondary, is Justin Fields, do, you know, what's, it, what's his deal? Is everybody going to be healthy? 
I, you got to look at that and go, that was an epic game that people are going to remember for a long time. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. What, once I realized what it was happening, right? Like the first quarter and a half, you're like, God, oh, Jesus. But once you realize what's actually going on with Trey Sermon, you realize that he's going to be the one to just completely win this game by himself. I, that was gravy for me. That was awesome. One of the things that just continues to blow my mind about how good we have it as Ohio State fans is that even when something as important as the best quarterback in the country or one of the top two, uh, three quarterbacks in the country has the worst day of his career mm-hmm. and Ohio State still wins by double digits. Like, think about that. Or, or the times this season when we've been like, oh my gosh, the defense is hot refried garbage. And right. you still find a way to win by double digits. And, you, you know, you've got a guy who was averaging, you know, or, or who accumulated 344 rushing yards over five games <laughs> come out yeah. and achieve 331 rushing yards in the single most important game of the season to date. I mean, dude was basically his single game average <laughs> off from eclipsing his season total. Yeah. In right. a single game, you know, you were going to have 340 yards in five games and 340. He almost, I mean, he almost doubled his total output for the season in yeah. the seventh game of the sixth game of the season. Like, it's just, it's just madness, you know. So, it was a beautiful game. I, I had a lot of fun. So, one of my best friends in the world uh, went to high school together, um, went to Northwestern. And so, you know, we were sitting there basically DMing each other throughout the course of the game. And, and, and I had a lot of fun, you know, for not being able to be one of the best things about sports, right, is the camaraderie, is, is going sure. to games or going to tailgates. And we haven't had that this year, really. So, you know, sitting there and kind of watching a game together, even though we're, you know, a thousand miles apart or whatnot, was, was a lot of fun. Uh, so it was a great game. And, you know, while I share several of the concerns, you know, it, it, it's affirming to see that the defense in many ways stepped up, um, particularly, um, you know, that we, we still say that front seven is pretty great. And, and they kept Northwestern from scoring in some places where, you know, that, that could have quickly yep. pushed the game in the other direction. Uh, second half of the ball game, you were maybe more worried about the offense than you were the defense until Trey Sermon started just going off. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it's, it's not a game that's necessarily going to maybe pump you up and say, Hey, we're ready to rip Clemson's head off now. Right. You know, it's not fifty-nine to zero going into the playoffs, but there are there are good things to like there. Um, and and we keep having to remind ourselves that this is the midpoint in the season in terms of the number of games these guys have played. Right? Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. I mean, if you want to wring your hands about stuff, just understand that you you've got all these starts and stops. You've got people who have had to sit out games, haven't been able to practice. It, the consistency just has not been there. And I think that affects the running game, that affects the passing game, that affects defenses. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to maintain that because, as I've said often on the Dubcast, one of my favorite things about watching college football is watching teams grow and kind of evolve over the course of a season, right? Like, what did they figure out? What did they get better at? What did they end up, you know, focusing on because they knew they had a really great, you know, setup or really great player in a specific spot? Those are the things that are interesting to me to kind of see change over the course of a season. And and this was such a staccato kind of, you know, <laughs> watching experience if as a fan because you're like, okay, are we going to have a game this week? Okay, are they going to be any good? This, like, it's just – it's so hard to get into a rhythm both as somebody who's watching the team and somebody I'm sure who's on the team or coaching the team. And so you kind of have to take these awesome moments where you get them. And, and we can, I guess, worry a little bit about the BCS – um, you know, in the future, but 
you know, you're missing a lot of it. You're missing a lot of other components of your team. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, it, it's hard for me to get super freaked out or upset uh, because I just, I don't know what the peak of this team is. I don't really know how they'll play against a Clemson team that has similarly, I think had some, you know, some issues overall. I mean, yes, they, they beat the crap out of Notre Dame, um, but they've also shown themselves to have some weaknesses from time to time. So, you know, I think, I think maybe Jason mentioned this in Slack. I forget who said it, but uh, someone said that you got to get on the phone with Jeff Halfley immediately after that game. <laughs> like, all right, all right, all right. So what, what are we doing here? How do we figure this out? Um, and I'm sure he would be more than happy to provide his expertise. Um, you you gotta out. you gotta think he's got some feelings about uh, oh the, hell yeah the outcome of this game you know it's yes uh, in so uh, many ways I mean man if there was uh, anybody outside of Boston pulling harder than Ohio State fans for Halfley's uh, <laughs> screaming Eagles during oh my god dur- during that game you know I mean so close so close so close and I think they'll get him at some point I I really do I think Halfley's a really intelligent guy his team I, you know from what i saw from boston college i watched maybe two or three of their games players love playing for that dude um that they might be a threat at some point yeah I, i'm not saying next year but i i do think that clemson better not get super you know happy on those laurels well and, and you know it's interesting i mean it's not been that long ago that it was basically i mean acc was was a bunch of has-beens or also rands because you, you know you look and say well Florida State was once a, once a, a big brand powerhouse, and and they've been, you know, a hot mess for six what six years now. Wow! Uh, yeah. you, you you know the U, uh, you know one of the one of the titans of the sport until you know Ohio State buried him in the desert. Uh, Jim Jim Tressel uh, ended Larry Coker's career and and <laughs> uh, ended Miami's relevance as a national football power. Uh, you, you know, but now look, you, you know, you've got some interesting programs there. Mac, Mac Brown's doing some, doing some cruton down there with the Tar Heels and they're going to play in a bowl game. And, uh, you, you know, got now halfway up at Boston college, Notre Dame doing its thing of, are we in, or are we out of a conference? Are we in, or are we out of a conference? <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see as a side note, what happens with them post pandemic, if they, you know, stick around, if this getting into the, the playoff thing is part of a conference, the uh, non-champion, that, that that's that's kind of an interesting proposition but all that yeah. to say you know the ACC it, I think it's good for the sport of football when you have more than just the the oh my god the SEC is the best conference and everybody else stinks right. and oh you have Clemson that's sort of an adjunct member of the SEC because they're good and Ohio State is uh, the, the the one kingdom of the north that we're willing to tolerate in the discussion it, it, it's good to see a guy like Halfley going in there and doing well all that to say uh, you know, this, this game, you, you alluded to it. Uh, the Ohio state has some warts, fits and freckles. Clemson's got some warts, fits and freckles. And so I think we're looking at two teams as, you know, whose, whose weakness gets exploited more, yeah. uh, uh, in this game on new year's day. Well, let's, let's talk about, before we actually get into Clemson, Ohio state, um, let's talk about the, the BC, BCS. Geez. I love that you keep calling it the BCS. I can't. But- I, I can't get it out of my brain because I people keep talking about wanting to go back to it. That's why. Because people kept talking about the BCS after, oh, man, college football playoff. These, this committee, they're not picking the right teams, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But please, please miss me with the whole idea that we should go back to the BCS and maybe that was a good system. It was a horrific system. It was <laughs> stupid. Everybody knew it was stupid. There, there is a solution to our current situation. 
the the intragnizance of the the uh, playoff committee. There are ways to to improve that. It's not to go backwards. Please, for love of God, do not start pining for the good old days of the BCS. That is not something that I want. Um, so we can talk about the college football playoff and the committee and, and their choices. You know, a lot of people were upset that when you look at the final four, you've got Notre Dame, you've got Clemson, you've got Alabama, you've got Ohio State. A lot of people are like, okay, well, that's preordained. You know, you basically went into the beginning of the season saying, okay, this is just – we're going to see who's going to win in the best four teams. And a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute. I thought this was going to be wide open. I thought we were going to take everybody, you know, at face value. And this is something I said at the very beginning, right? Like this is all set up essentially to coalesce into what we normally have anyway. Um, and I'm not surprised by it. I think – it's foolish to keep giving Notre Dame chances. I, I think that's silly. But when your other alternatives are like Texas A&M or Florida or something like that, like it's, mm-hmm. how is it different? How is it, like, it's, it's still the same issue. You have to expand the playoff. Um, I don't have a problem with Ohio State being where they are, but I just, I, it's, it's absurd to me to keep having the same pool of six teams that you choose from to be in your playoff and look some people are telling me on twitter like oh well, do you want to see cincinnati lose to alabama by 50 yeah yes, honestly yes. I, I do I, I sign me up for that you bet i'm personally okay with that specifically because it's cincinnati but also because like at least you'll know right and like well, well there'll be an argument between eight and nine who cares so that's not yeah. the same as an argument between four and five that, that people aren't in the, you know, in March Madness, right, in, in uh, the NCAA men's basketball tournament, nobody's complaining about who's the 16 seed or the 15 seed. Like, oh, yeah. like, there are bubble teams, but generally that's not something that causes people a lot of headaches. Yeah, typically right? it's like, oh, I might have made them the this seed yeah, instead of right. that they seed. Should be but a it's one like seed a comment, a not a, oh, my God, this is a horrible miscarriage of justice, which, uh, you know, the college football universe was pretty well united this week that – there were some things in this college football playoff ranking past the top four that were serious miscarriages of justice. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I just, like I said, it's, I understand if people are frustrated with it, the solution to me is to expand the field. Yep. And furthermore, to get rid of some out of conference games, incentivize teams to start playing good teams, right. And say like, Hey, you can take a loss but it's going to help you if you schedule those teams. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we need to start telling people. I think that's what the committee needs to start taking into consideration. And, you know, people are like, well, this is all just made up. They're just, <laughs> like, they're just deciding the teams they like. Like, yeah, that's, that's yes, basically that's, it. That is exactly what they do. You expand the field. You mitigate that. You expand the field. And you, you try to get a team like Cincinnati in um, who may, may get annihilated by a, a number one team. That could absolutely happen. On the other hand, something crazy could happen. And that's why we watch college football. We watch for the Boise State-Oklahoma games, right? Like, that's yeah. why we watch. And the off chance that that might happen. Because otherwise, okay, they get blown out. Then, then Alabama's still there, and it's fine. It didn't change anything. Look, I'm, um, I'm, I'm looking at it this way, you know, to, to echo your point. The, the first college football ranking, college football playoff rankings this season were Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. Yeah, finishing Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Wow, you know, like that's so. Texas A&M was fifth in Week 13. They're fifth now. You know, like that. Nothing has changed. And and so I thought, well, okay, let's look at the AP poll uh, to to see what did what did the AP have? Because your comment about being preordained, I mean, it's right. Okay, so here was the AP preseason rankings, friends: Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Uh, Notre Dame was down to number ten. 
I mean, so three, three fourths of the field, you could very well say were determined day one. Yeah. And, and all we were really doing was seeing, okay, uh, is there any evidence that we might be wrong? Yeah, exactly. It, like you know, how many games any are going to lose and win? If they Notre lose Dame more was, than one game. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And, and that's dumb. And it, it, it's, it's not the way it should be. And unfortunately, when you have a committee of people doing it, they're going to have their preconceived notions about what the best teams are. So you have to, again, you have to expand the field and force them to consider other teams. They're not going to unless they're forced to. They're, they're just not. They're not going to. Frankly, I would be surprised if anybody on the committee watched more than a game of, mm. let's say, Cincinnati, right? Like, I just keep using Cincinnati as an example because, frankly, I think they've been pretty accessible as a team to watch, right? This is not yeah. a team that's been shuttered at, like, 11 o'clock games and you're like, oh, crap, I don't know if I'm going to stay awake for all this. They've been in some pretty favorable slots to get national attention, and – they were ignored <laughs> and again it's funny to me because i know the mind of the cincinnati bearcat football fan but in general it's stupid because it's it kind of lays bare the the bias involved and you have to force them to start expanding their thinking a little bit and, and i'll give i'll give nicole arbach at uh, the athletic credit i know she took a lot of heat deservedly so from ohio state fans over the course of or big 10 fans in general mm-hmm. over the course of this offseason but she had a great piece this week talking about how the committee's rankings make no sense like they're just indefensible because of things and and, right. and frankly uh you know iowa athletic director gary barda didn't necessarily do the committee any favors when he starts talking about things and he says you know he gets asked specifically i think um chris uh, vanini asked the question you know can a g5 can a group of five team make it into the playoff and and barter's like yes they can and he you know he asked how and and basically it was something like you know you've basically got a schedule he used an example of byu's pre-covid schedule Mm -hmm. for this season and it was basically like a g5 team has got to schedule five power five right games which by the way you can't do like you don't have five (laughs) out of conference games to schedule right you have to be an independent and then and even then even if you aren't independent you have to start the season with previous success that will allow you to be notre dame is the only independent that is going to get in like byu isn't cracking into the top four right now no no they're absolutely not. And, and so the whole thing's pretty dumb. Navy I, isn't going to crack. I guess Navy isn't independent anymore. But I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, like the other independents. Sure. Like, nobody's, it's just, it's Notre Dame and that's it. Right. And it works out for Ohio State. I'm not, you know, like, great. But, like, I just want to see, you know, does anybody really want to see another Bama-Clemson game besides Bama-Clemson fans? Like, that's not interesting at all. Mm. No one cares about that. And that's, like some people are really huge devotees. Like we got to have the best teams. Got to have the best teams. Like well, okay. Well, the best teams are the ones that win. And so, if Alabama was the best team in a fourteen playoff, they're going to be the best team in an eighteen playoff. Yes. That shouldn't change. So I, you know, I want to see this expand. I want it to become more interesting. All and right. So what do you want? Do you want six? Do you want eight? Do you want six? Want eight. You there needs eight? to be eight, and, and what I say is that there needs to be eight, and then they also have to have the caveat that they encourage teams to decrease the amount of out of conference opponents and increase the uh like the viability of those opponents like i understand some schools like ohio state in the past have scheduled ohio teams right as kind of a favor to in school or in in state opponents and stuff i get that but i i don't want to see college football creep up to like 16 games i think that's a little absurd um so make the conference schedule really beefy make that really robust right make sure that you are uh scheduling tough out of conference opponents but maybe only one or two and then add uh, those four teams to the playoff and then and make it a true playoff because that's that to me will make it the most interesting and, and 
I don't I don't care if a team loses a game once and then still makes the playoff. Like I, I don't understand this idea that everybody's got to have like a perfect record or close to it. Like it's fine if they lose a game or two and they're still really good at the end of the season. If a team if a team loses a game or two at the beginning of the season and they they're beating other teams by 30, 40 points at the end of it, I'm okay if they win their conference championship and people say that team might deserve to be in an 18 playoff. That does not bother me at all. Um, that's fine. That, that, that's what I talk about when I say the evolution of a team over the course of a season. Ohio State in 2014 looked like boiled ass against Virginia Tech. That Perfect did not look example. like a team that was going to win the national championship. And yet, and that was an out-of-conference opponent who I believe was unranked at the time at home, and they mm-hmm. got skunked. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go by like, okay, well, we've got to have these teams look great start to finish. Well, okay, then Ohio State doesn't win a national championship in 2014. So I don't, I don't, I don't need that in my life. I, I want to have variety. I want to have spice. I'm okay with the team getting really hot and then winning a championship. That's fine. That's, that's, that's exciting. And that's what I want. So. All right. But no, okay. Now the next question. So we go to eight teams. That's exactly where I think we need to be as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Auto auto bids. And if so, for whom? No. No auto no. bids, just top eight. Yeah, I don't like auto so, bids. So what is, I think, what is there to keep the, this committee that you know, has tended to be very deferential to a certain conference based in the southeastern part of the U- U.S. from ranking oh, four, five teams of that conference in the top eight? I don't think there is much with that, but like, I mean, the problem is that even if you have, I mean, I guess what you could say is that maybe like AAC or, or American or whatever they're calling it and Sunbelt, but I, I think there are enough teams on a given year where you could say this is a team like UCF, right? Like th- there are teams where people are going to go, this is, a, this is a school with an undefeated record. They look pretty damn good. They deserve to get in. And I, I would hope, I would hope that that's enough to convince, you know, a committee that that's, that's a team that deserves to be in. Because I think, I don't know, if you get to the point where a team is looking at like, or a, the committee is looking at like, okay, we've got our big five conference winners in. Okay. Yeah. And now second place or the second place SEC team is like a, you know, a nine and three Florida team or something like that. And then you're looking at an undefeated G5 team. If you really are having a trouble, you know, deciding between those two and you decide to keep the G5 team out, then this whole thing is ridiculous. Maybe we should go back to the, the BCS because then you're, then you're just not watching football. Then you just don't care about any of this whatsoever because I can't envision a scenario where you would leave one of those teams out and keep the other. So I, I don't love the idea of automatic bids because I also think there's some really crappy teams that win conferences that just don't deserve to be like – in the playoff if they have multiple losses, things like that. And, you know, maybe there's a, an outstanding situation where a lot of teams, you know, people are hurt or there's some kind of crazy thing like that. But yeah, I don't know. Not a huge fan of that. You seem to be uh, talking about the PAC 12. Yeah. Comments. I mean, it's interesting. Like I look at this year's final eight, so to speak. So you have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Notre Dame, as we know, then A&M, Cincinnati, Indiana, right. Oklahoma, so you've got uh, cool see, two, two SEC teams, two ACC teams, two Big Ten teams, one Big 12 team, and piss on you, Pac-12. <laughs> Which is fine. I, don't, I, I really don't have a problem with that. I think that's fine. I, where I did, really do where think did or, Oregon ended up as 25? I think that was the top-ranked yeah. Pac-12. So, I mean, like I, mean, you, I mean, you actually have a pretty good argument there just by nature of the fact that the, apparently the – and where if, if I'm looking – that's the AP – I'm sorry, that was the AP final rankings. 
uh, but in, but but I see what you're saying though in general, right? Like that's that's what I'm saying. Like there are going to be teams, right, that are recognized as really good that aren't going to be Power Five conference teams, but they will win their conference. So, that so this is, I mean, I find this really interesting. So this is where the subjectivity of the committees sort of makes a difference because I I just rolled it all rattled off. I was looking at the wrong screen um, and rattled off the AP. So I had you know Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, which which we were. And that was A and M, Cincinnati, Indiana, Oklahoma. Those were the the next four out. So A and M, Cincinnati, Indiana, Oklahoma. So the top four, uh, the AP voters and the CFP committee agreed on. So then you Aggie, Cincinnati, Indiana, Oklahoma. You switch to the CFP rankings. And and you end up then with A and M Oklahoma, so those two are the same. Cincinnati, same, but you have Florida in there instead of instead of Indiana. So you end up in that situation with three SEC teams instead of one. Indiana's clear down to eleventh. I mean, the committee didn't give Indiana any respect whatsoever this season. They did not. Which which I think is ridiculous that you have a six and one Indiana whose only loss is to the number three team in the country. Uh, one step behind Iowa State, a three-loss Iowa State team. <laughs> and I, by the way, have nothing but respect in my heart for what Matt Campbell's doing at Iowa State because it's historic in the scope of, of Iowa State's history, right? Like, this, sure. is, this is not a small thing. You beat Texas and Oklahoma in the same season the first time ever. Uh, not a small thing. But you've got Indiana at 11. You know, that to me is almost more egregious than having undefeated Cincinnati at 8, which I thought was pretty damn disrespectful. Uh, I personally thought Cincinnati should have been no worse than fifth. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, frankly, my comment w- on Twitter was if I'm Luke fickle, I'm telling my agent, find me a P five job now, because if you couldn't get <laughs> into the playoff this year with all the caveats yeah. and asterisks at a, as an undefeated Cincinnati with what, two or three top 25 wins on your resume, you're never getting in. Like it's not happening ever. Yeah. I, I, I do think the metric changes a little bit when you have eight teams. I, I like, I understand. I, I don't know that. I don't know. I, I don't know that the committee would look at those teams the same way if they knew that they were ranking eight teams. Maybe I'm giving them too much of the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. To um, me, I look at this last set of ranking, rankings, and it was like they were intentionally trying to keep certain teams out of the Big Six bowls. Yeah, like, and that could cause, be because why else are you dropping Cincinnati? I mean, you had Cincinnati ranked higher than that. Right. Uh, you know, every, every, I mean, they were, and seventh, that's fair. That's a fair point. They were seventh in the first set of rankings. They were, yeah. you know, like what changed in five weeks time, they kept winning <laughs> like, <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> over a span of five victories. They dropped a spot or five weeks. They dropped a spot despite winning those games. I mean, it's just, it's madness. Now I, I personally am on board with the auto bids, but only because I think that will be table stakes to get these conferences on board. Cause if you're, you know, if you're the Pac-12, and you know, as we were just, you know, taking time to dump on them, like, why would you ever vote to expand uh, if if you don't have, you need to use that vote to expand to leverage to get your conference in? Because you've been out, what, since 2015? I mean, when was Oregon while, in the yeah. last time? I mean, that's the last time that they've been in. They've been the conference left out most consistently ACC and SEC have been gold and, and the big 10 has been in more than it's been out. So, you know, that's that to me, uh, I think politically they're, they're going to have to do the auto bids at least if they want to get enough votes. And, and I don't really know how the politics works of, as far as uh, you know, who, who votes and makes the decision and all that sort of thing. And certainly ESPN's mm-hmm. TV deal that runs through, I think 26 
is, you know, is part of the calculus, but you also oh, have sure, to think yeah. if you're ESPN, more live sports, you know, is, is preferable. More high stakes games is preferable. That's why they're paying $300 million or something like that for the SEC game of the week. I think uh, if I read awful announcing correctly, CBS was paying like 60 oh, million yeah, for they, basically the same deal. They dumped tons of money into that, which is really, that's actually really interesting to me. Um, because I don't, I, I, that may turn out to be a mistake, I think. In terms I, of- I just look at it this way. What are people, you know, how much ESPN do you watch outside of live sports? Almost none. Yeah. And, I, and, <laughs> I mean, I, and I mean, I think that's their problem is that. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's the stick to sports politics. I, I'm not going to get on that soapbox and say, well, it's what's driving people away. I, I just think it's the nature. I just think it's the nature of the beast. Right. That what they really do better than anyone else is live sports. I mean, I'll give Fox a lot of credit. I think they do a nice job with the Big Ten games. I love Gus and Clatt. I think they're mm-hmm. as good a duo. We've talked about that on the show before. Uh, but, but in terms of the actual producing live football games, nobody does it better than the four-letter network. They're That's true. so good. They're so That's good true. at it. They're the standard. Yeah. So, I, you know, and I agree with you. I think a lot of it is the kind of consideration that they're thinking about, like, you know, what, what do we want to get out of this when we broadcast these games? And I don't think that is an insignificant thought. Uh, that goes to the committee and, and when you know ESPN's talking about it like those are all that's that's part of the narrative that they're they're kind of driving um I just I think it's I think it's a mistake because I don't know I don't know that you can recreate March Madness March Madness is his own thing it's it's really yeah. unique in a lot of ways but the excitement level for March Madness is the idea that 16 can beat one and the the idea that that's possible and it, it happened. And when it finally happened, people were just went absolutely bonkers because it was, it was bonkers. It was something that had never happened before. And I just, mm-hmm. I think when you've got what's basically an invitational for teams that are preordained at the beginning of the season, <laughs> uh, it's not exciting for people. It, it's not something that, so I'm actually really interested to see what um, these, uh, these uh, viewership numbers look like this year, because they've been down across the board. Almost every sport has taken huge hits Huge, and it's, interesting to me to see how fans have adjusted to the new reality of what that looks like now as far as ohio state's game you know you're going to clemson you're playing a team that you haven't beaten before ever uh obviously inflicted a lot of pain on your team in recent years uh, including a very recent year Mm -hmm. uh and and just one of the most absurd games of all time and you know again I, i i hate to be the guy that says like we got screwed but ohio state got enormously absolutely hosed absolutely Um, yeah so you've got a chance for redemption how are you feeling about the clemson matchup so let's uh let's let's inaugurate this uh soon to be recurring segment of the show for the next let's call it three weeks uh the is dabo swinney the worst person in america I mean, yes. Yeah. My my new favorite. There, let's end the, the show. Yeah. Hey, let's just answer that question now. Yes. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. As, as I was saying on Twitter on Monday, I was like, you know, if Daba, this is when you know the it came out. Uh, our our Dan Hope, I think, brought to our attention that Dabo, uh, paragon of humanity and humility that he is, ranked our beloved Buckeyes as uh, not fifth, not sixth, but eleventh yeah. in his ballot in the coaches' poll. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. I, I appreciate your candor and honesty. Uh, if Dom Why do you think the can worst I ask you person this, in college football, he really wants to be. <laughs> Real quick, and I know he said earlier in the season, it's all about games played and blah, blah, blah. 
honest to God, though, what do you think is the the reasoning behind him doing that? I mean, that's because up, it's I, tro- I get it's that's trolling. his stated it's just, point. It's straight up trolling. I, I, you know, because if you go back and listen to his interviews early in the season, he was asked about this, and and he was uh, very very candid. And I, the interview, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was basically something to the effect that no team shouldn't be penalized for games they don't get to play because right. we're all basically making this up as we go along. And and at the time, you know, what he was hedging was that if his team ended up missing games because they got canceled due to COVID. Like, so he, at that point, right, right, you know, right. he, he was perfectly okay with it. No, we shouldn't penalize those teams. No, we don't know what's going to happen. Cause that could have been him. Cause it could have been him now. Yeah. Now, you know, fast forward 10 weeks and it wasn't him. And well, you know, God, I can't imagine how you'd ever put a team in the playoffs that went six and oh, and all these yeah. games like that's, Oh, let's clutch the pearls and wring the hands and rend the sackcloth. So I think, I, you know, to me, this is just this is straight up trolling. Like I, I saw some some uh, fellow Buckeye fans said on the social media that, oh, he's scared. No, he's not. He he's not be. scared. He, That's he, not he's not, and he shouldn't be. Because if I were him, you know, I'd be like, yeah, the, we love this matchup because we've rolled these fools every time we played them. Like I yeah. would feel like I would be the cock of the walk if I were him because. That's what the scoreboard says. Now Ohio State got screwed last year. No ifs ands or buts about it. But if you're him, you don't feel that way. Huh. You know, if you're him, you look and said, yeah, they called it right. Because that's how we would feel if the roles were reversed. You know, yeah. you, you'd, you'd take off your, your rose-colored glass, scarlet-colored glasses and say, oh, the ref's got it right. But I, I just read his vote as straight-up trolling. I think he knows that uh, he's got Ohio State right where he wants it, you know, because he's, you know, Ohio State's never beaten Clemson. He knows the history. Uh, and he's just a giant douche. That's it. <laughs> yes. I, I, yes, that is, that is absolutely true. Here, here's my take on it. I, I don't think it's – I mean, it is a little bit of trolling. I think that's part of it. And he loves being the center of attention because he knew oh my that God, was going to yes. He knew that was going to generate all kinds of talking. He can just kind of smirk. <laughs> but I also really think a lot of it is about respect. I, I think he hates the idea that he has to share the stage with Ohio State in terms of, like, perception. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, because I really believe that he thinks that Clemson is head and shoulders above every other program except maybe Alabama. And having to share the stage with Ohio State as quote unquote equals is demeaning to his program. I, I really think it's a huge ego trip for him. And so he's like, no, this is where this team belongs, right? Because that's how that's where I actually think they are talent-wise. They can't compete with us, they're not very good. I think it's dumb as hell to give Ohio State bulletin board material like that. And then a lot of people say bulletin board material doesn't matter. I think it absolutely matters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like it shouldn't. I mean, you should always like, yeah, I'm going to play at my peak no matter what. It definitely matters. It pisses people off and it gets them up for a game that they really want to win. I think it's dumb for him to do that. And like I said, I, I really do think it's an ego thing. I, I think it's him wanting to come out and say how great Clemson is and how much better they are in Ohio State. Right now, Clemson is, what, like, a, I think around a seven-point favorite. Six, six, six and, and a half, half. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. six and a half, which is actually a, probably a little generous in my estimation to Clemson, frankly. Like, I, I agree, Clemson is the better team this year in total when you're looking at, you know, every single individual, uh, you know, position group and how they match up. It's hard not to be a little afraid of Trevor Lawrence and how he might throw all day over Ohio State secondary. I get that. But I just – I don't know. I mean, yes, Dabo is a douche, but I also think he's a really insecure douche, and that's why he has to keep reinforcing how awesome he and his program are because he can't go five seconds without hearing. Yeah, I mean, he's really probably an unrepentant narcissist if we get right yeah. down to it. I mean, that's – you know, it's just very kind of typical, stereotypical behavior. And and I just 
it's such an outlier. You know, that's the thing. Like when you look at how the other, I, I love that, uh, uh, Colin took the time to go through and, and track this down. You know, nobody voted Ohio State number one on their final coaches ballot, nor should they have. Alabama, yeah, I think, fine. is the clear number one team this season. Sure. Um, they've, they've done everything well. They've got three guys on the team who are, you know, going to be great um, candidates for the Heisman Trophy. You know, they're just it's, it's a great team. And, and if they win this playoff, no one will be surprised. If no. they beat the pants off everyone they play in this playoff, no one will be surprised. All right, so then you go to number two. What coaches? You had seven coaches that thought Ohio State was the second best team in the country. Hey, you know that, and, and these are, of course, you have a couple of uh, Big Ten friends, Pat Fitzgerald and Scott Frost. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Tip of the cap. Yes. Lo- lo- love Northwestern, Nebraska. Peace out, brothers. Shout uh, out my bro yeah, Fitz. Yep, yeah, gotta, gotta love it. And Scott Frost keeping the faith. You know the teams that made the made the Big Ten season happen this year. Right. Uh, two two uh, service academies, an Army and Air Force, and then Bowling Green and Wyoming. So okay, hey. that's, that's oh Boise State. Sorry, I left out Boise State. And then like every literally everyone else who voted in the coaches poll uh, were were at number three or number four, and and you had a handful of folks. Uh, notably some some SEC uh, types like uh, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher uh, in at number five, and Kirby Smart at number six. And, you know, like I honestly don't have any hate for a Kirby Smart putting the Buckeyes at number six. Like that's – Yeah, that's, me, that's, that's fine. Not, that, that's not I get it. Fine. Yep, absolutely. I mean, we were just laughing because Fitz and, and Frosty put them at number two. Sure. Uh, you know, so fine. I don't get it. But then you skip literally no one, literally no one – rank the Buckeyes at seven, eight, nine, or 10, and then Dabo's at 11. Like, if yeah. Dabo votes them at six or seven, we're not having this conversation. It's like, oh, yep. Well, and that's the point. That's, and that's what he to, wants. Exactly what the attention. He wants people to, to oh, Dabo, I hate you so much. And you're the worst oh, and God, I do. I really do. And oh, he's terrible. But I guess what I'm saying with that specifically is um, I just think it's a dumb move on his part. I think it's going to – like again, I don't know how this game is going to shake out. Trevor Lawrence could throw for 500 yards, and they could win by three, you know 30 points. I don't know. That's entirely possible. All right, so let's dig into that because you know, to me, we're we're here's here's where the rubber meets the road. Like, where does Ohio State match up favorably with Clemson, and and where does Clemson match up favorably? And you know, to me, like that right there, Trevor Lawrence is by far the best quarterback that Ohio State's defense will have faced all season long. You know, Penix yeah. was a great. Penix was a great test for that secondary and hmm, you know, hmm, he had a day. Uh, and I don't think anybody's going to confuse Penix and, and Trevor Lawrence as, uh, you know, future first round picks, right? Like but, but Penix is a good quarterback mm-hmm. and Trevor Lawrence might be the number one overall pick. So, you know, I, I, I have some concerns and I feel like at multiple times during the season, uh, you know, I kind of went back into a little tr- tweet thread inception uh you know like literally week one i think my my twitter comment was i'm beginning to develop concerns about this defense and uh, several times during the season you just kind of go back and re-up that now the front seven you know we've talked about it this front seven's pretty good so i think there's you know there's maybe a positive um ohio state's defensive front maybe matches up pretty well against clemson's offensive line what 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 do you think when it comes push to shove can the Buckeyes put any pressure on Lawrence and disrupt what what looks like a, a you know murder machine offensively? <laughs> well, here's so we're we're definitely gonna get you know more into this and more in depth next week. But what I will say is that one thing that's really important to me in a game like this is 
pace, tempo, uh, you know, who's got momentum, things like that. And, and one thing that I will say in Ohio State's favor that maybe should give um, Buckeye fans a little bit of hope is that I think Ohio State defensive line has an advantage over Clemson's offensive line. I, the the interior, the defensive tackles for Ohio State are probably the most underrated players in the country. When you're yes. talking about Togia and, and Haskell, like they have the potential to make a serious impact on that game and by the way thank you big 10 uh, award voters for giving haskell garrett some bulletin board material yeah like, exactly third right. team all conference yeah, come, on, just come on probably the best interior lineman and here's the other thing is that um you know tr- people worry about travis atn i i think you got to worry more about him on the edges and the good news about that is my second piece of good news with the defensive uh, side of the ball, which is that I think our linebackers in general are playing at a higher level than maybe we were worried about and even at a higher level than they were last season. So when you're talking about people who might be able to cover in space and track down a guy like ATN, you know, going to the sideline, that's where it might make the game a little bit, uh, one of those games where it's going to be one more in the trenches, if that makes sense. You don't have to worry about gigantic plays. And Ohio State's done a pretty good job uh, to, to limit that in, in instances where you would hope that they would. Now, there have been some times where they've had brain farts and you're like, oh, crap, it's not, it's not good. But I don't think Clemson has the same kind of wide receivers as they've had in the past. Um, you still have Trevor Lawrence who can just sling it all over the field. But there is a chance, I think, to shorten this game and make it one where it's like, okay, both teams are going to stay in the high 20s, low 30s, something like that. Ohio State can compete with that. So – there's, I, I don't see this being a shootout. I really don't. I, I do not see this being a shootout on either side. And uh, Ohio State's defensive line and linebackers are going to have a big part to play in that. So that, that's where I have a little bit of optimism. I'm still obviously concerned about the secondary. I'm still a little bit concerned, frankly, about the passing game and you know how consistent is Justin Fields going to be. We know what his ceiling is. We, we've also seen kind of what his floor is. So we got to hope that he's closer to the former than the latter. And if that's the case, and then you've got guys like, you know, Wilson and Olave balling out, this is a, again, I think Clemson should probably be between an eight and 10 point favorite. I also think Ohio state can win that game. So now Alabama, eh, not as confident, <laughs> not as, not as sure about an upset. Well, we can, we can, we can cross that bridge when we get to it, I think. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a topic for another day. But I'm not super scared of Clemson. I think they're rightfully a, a favorite in this game, but I'm not terrified of them. So then, you know, this, this brings up another – you mentioned uh, Olave being back, which I think is huge yes. for Ohio State's chances. I mean, just absolutely huge. If you looked, uh, the passing game was not the Buckeyes' long suit uh, versus Northwestern. And, no. And, and that, you know, gave me room for, for pause. Uh, but, but I, I wanted to bring this to your, to your attention for further, uh, thought, did the big 10 get it right in changing its 21 day protocol, the protocol that I think has been lampooned, uh, universally since it was announced at the beginning of this shortened season for being way beyond what literally everyone else in college football was doing. Did they get it right? Shorting, shortening it to 17 days and, uh, does, does does this give you any any less room for concern that the Buckeyes will be fully staffed for the big dance? Uh, I mean, I think they should have shortened it even more. I mean, the CDC guidelines are not 17 days. That's not. I, I think what they're doing is is well beyond what really could be 
considered reasonable. Um, but I think they'll be fine. It's interesting, though, because, <laughs> you know, nobody really wants to talk about this, right? Like, we go into this playoff, and all of a sudden one team can't play. What do you – I mean, what do you do about that? Nobody <laughs> – and I asked this question – I asked this question before the Big Ten Championship. And I got like, I was like, okay, well, what if Northwestern shows like shows up and just can't play, or what you know? And who's Ohio State's opponent? And I'm like, well, I assume the next team. Well, no, the Big Ten was like, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And so I just, you know, a lot of this is just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, regardless, I guess. So we'll we'll see how it all works out. Yeah, I mean, and there was um, some comment. I I think um, I can't remember if it was Bill Hancock or someone else associated with um, the committee you made some comment that if, if one of the teams couldn't play that they would, they would look at or be open to moving the, the, you know, the games back, but that their, their goal is, and I think it's gotten a little easier for them in the fact that they're not playing at the Rose bowl anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and of course that there are not going to be tens of thousands of people in the stands at, at either place. So if they had to move it back, but I'm, yeah, I'm curious to see at what the threshold is for for something to have to give you look these southern teams haven't budged a whole lot right so right. uh ohio state's definitely the outlier compared to how how uh, clemson notre dame and alabama have, have handled their business this year yeah yeah so i you know it's <laughs> we'll see how it goes i <laughs> i think we're in for a, a strange few weeks but we'll you know maybe not we'll see maybe i thought it was really, really... Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. You know, Nick Saban made the comment about letting the kids go home for Christmas that, you know, he just – he said he couldn't look them in the eye yeah. and he couldn't go home for the holidays. I get it. Uh, so, I mean – Risky, how, but I get it. Well, that's, so how how much sleep do you lose if you're a head football coach in one of these four teams? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> over the next two weeks about what your kids are doing after 10 o'clock at night? Yeah, a lot. I think I think that's a very reasonable fear. Um, yeah, I, yeah, man, I, I, I really think there might be some unpredictable stuff going up here, but we'll, we'll see what happens with that. So again, we'll get back into Clemson, um, next week and we'll, we'll talk about it and break it down a little bit more, but I also want to mention briefly basket bucks come back and look pretty good against UCLA. They get some things going. You get, you get a little bit of set towns action for a few minutes. Um, we'll see him finally make his appearance. Yeah. EJ look, Zed. I'm I'm liking love, this team love, right now. I, I I'm liking that. the team, man. Zed. I'm liking it. I love every time Zed breaks out the finger guns. I'm I am <laughs> such a dork. I love it. It's, it's I, really... great. I mean, it's just so wholesome and and like it's just a genuine joy. Like that to me is what it. We've just gone from talking about the most corporate, like sanitized for-profit venture in amateur quote-unquote athletics to the most wholesome, like. I don't know, like just the the joy of college sports in Zed Key, and and I I love that because yeah. that's I mean that's what got us all into this to begin with, right? Yeah. It's just it's sports are supposed to be fun, and I I'm I'm all about it. Yeah, I love you know this isn't this uh, this isn't John Wooden's um, UCLA team <laughs> by by any stretch, but you know Mick Cronin's think- UCL team UCLA <laughs> team, which is even funnier. Yeah, that poor guy is now what I think zero and four uh, in his career against the Buckeyes. Am I? Well, that's his own damn fault. If you want to, if you want to eschew Western, what you're from West Cincy, and you want you want to leave the hometown team and go to LA, like so many <laughs> before you, this is what you get. This is your fate. 
So don't I, complain about it. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's going to confuse McCronin with the Wizard of Westwood anytime soon. Uh, I'm just, uh, but but all that to say, UCLA, you know, not terrible either. Like this is uh, no. this is a good win for the Buckeyes. Yeah, and Cronin's a decent coach, and I, you know, but it's just, it was a fun win. I enjoyed that. Everybody, you know, it was a tight game, and then it wasn't. And Ohio State did what they needed to do to pull away. I like this team. I like how Holtman has constructed it. I don't think they're maybe a you know like a top ten team yet, but you know get Towns back, get him contributing frequently. We'll see what happens. We'll see yeah, I find I find that interesting. Like the the discussion of roster construction, uh, our our own Kyle Jones, the the X's and O's um, genius that he is. You know, he made the comment the other day uh, to, to to the rest of the staff. You know, like this this is a team that is built around the idea of how the modern game of basketball is played. Right, and and I think a lot of us, you know, as casual type fans maybe you missed that, you know, cause you're, you're, you're looking and trying to figure out what's going on. And, and I've heard some people, you know, gripe or quibble about roster construction, but, but really like, this is, this is what Holtman's trying to put together here. And when it, when it's working, you know, when the guys are actually hitting shots, it's funny how it always come back, it comes back to yeah. that, but when they're hitting shots, you know, it, it, it works and works well. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think they're going to, I think they're going to put together a pretty good little season here. And, and, you know, this, this is a season where I think there's some opportunity, um, I'm really curious to see how many games we end up playing in college basketball this year, sure. just in general, uh, for reasons previously mentioned uh, relative to football. <laughs> so who knows? We'll see. But it was a fun game to watch and win. Yeah. So that's good, and we'll keep an eye on them. And I, you know, <laughs> just gotta hope that going in January, you don't don't have the same kind of experience you did uh, earlier this year. I think that would be in inopportune. Uh, for this vessel team as they're developing so that's that's kind of what we're looking at uh you know i i threat level just published about an hour ago as of this uh recording uh, there's nothing new there with michigan so that's cool make a make a freaking decision idiots like figure something out um i, I mean are you are you sort of assuming now that the fact that nothing has happened means nothing's going to happen i mean enough by nothing yeah I mean, like, that's what I'd there's lean not towards. going to be there's not going to be uh, a regime change yeah i'll lean towards that I mean, yes, recruiting's different this year, and, and you maybe don't have to worry about certain hard deadlines or whatever. But um, yeah, I gotta believe they're taking this damn long. I think they're just trying to figure out which assistants they want to target and who they want to fire. So, which is stupid. Which again, it, very dumb. Whole the worst, the worst decision. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think they're gonna pull the trigger on Harbaugh. So, but so do, so do you see a whole new staff coming to? Yeah, I, I think they're going to get rid of Gaddis. I mean, who just – Speaking of Gaddis <laughs> – How dare you How dare you praise Ohio State? Big Josh fan Gattis. of Ohio State football, Josh Gaddis is. Yeah, so he, you know, he's he's turned off his – or he's he's went dark. He made his account private, at least last time I checked. Uh, and then Don Brown, who is not that old, actually, but seems like he's really old. <laughs> he's probably out. <laughs> like, you know, really, when I looked at it, I was like, okay, this guy's like 75 years old, so he's, he's about on his last legs anyway. Nope. He's uh, he's not. He, he's early mid sixties. He's he's got some time left, and uh, his team's not doing super hot. His, his unit's not doing super hot. So, I think they'll clean house. They'll keep Harbaugh probably on like a two year extension, maybe three years, and then probably with a low buyout. And hey, they could get Bo Pelini. You know, they they're looking to uh, bring. Yeah, in Bo's out at LSU defensive. after annoying everybody and and Baton Rouge. I mean that's what he that's what he does, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's super abrasive. Nobody but 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 him. let's but let's be real. Holmeslice should still be coaching uh, in in Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he had a good thing going. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I say what you will. 
for potty mouth Pelini. Uh, he, he had a good thing going in Lincoln and this, you know, this is kind of a w- word of warning to programs like understand that it could get worse. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. You're yes. guaranteed nine wins a season that you don't think is good enough. It could get worse. See, yeah. uh, for example, Nebraska and <laughs> I don't, Michigan uh, maybe falls into that. You don't now, know what uh, you got well. until right, it's gone. Right. right. Absolutely. Um, and then the last thing I want to say about coaching, of course, is, is where we got to leave it with, with our best news of the week, which is we got Burt back, baby. Big 10, Big 10, Brett Bielema. Let's go. I'm excited. Illinois. You got it. I mean, I, I mentioned this on Twitter. I was like, this is a guy who, I mean, yes, he did not have success at Arkansas, but his totem are the pig farms of Midwestern America. He's got to go back to his home. He's got to get back. He's got to regain that strength to get back to his totem like he's i mean you know this this guy's gonna he's gonna be bad it's gonna be bad it's not gonna go well but that's that's okay because it'll be funny and that's all i care about i i have been saying for years we've talked about it before that uh we need more entertaining coaches in this conference you know let's go there, there was a time where i just you know like was was praying to the college football gods every night give me less miles and or mike leach at Big Ten programs, uh, of course, is a good alternative. I, 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 I mentioned the other day when we were talking about Burt being back at uh, in the Big Ten. I made a comment on social, and somebody popped back and said, "Yeah, you know, Miles at uh, Michigan and and Mike Leach at Penn State. You know, <laughs> Burt at Illinois. He's automatically the most entertaining conference in America. Yeah, Burt is great for the sport. Whether I mean, I think Illinois will probably get better. It's hard to say that in the sense of you know, Lovey Smith." You know, that's, that, that's a Super Bowl winning coach. I, I don't know how much I think Lovey cared about recruiting or not. That always seems to be the Achilles heel of, sure. you know, the NFL types. Um, but you know that Bert, Bert's going to go give it uh, the, the old welly there, I think, recruiting-wise. He knows, he knows what it takes. He recruited in the SEC. He knows what that's like. So I, I think this would be a good thing. And automatically, you've got some built-in rivalries now. Uh, with Illinois and some other programs, you know, the Illinois Iowa game is going to be interesting. The Illinois Wisconsin game is going to be real interesting. Uh, we also know that Bert has blocked um, eleven Warriors and about half the staff of eleven <laughs> Warriors on Twitter. Not me though. I'll be the spokesman. He has not yet blocked me. I will be the spokesman for all the shade that eleven Warriors wants to throw Brett Bielema's way. I was honestly I'll shocked. Take that hit. I mean, I was honestly shocked uh, that I was blocked. I had no idea that that Bert had blocked me. And apparently, in 2015 or 16, uh, I had made some. He he had, we had written a story, or DJ I guess had written a story on 11 Warriors about uh, something Bird had said about, you know, somebody not being professional. And, and I just retweeted it with the comment, like uh, something to the effect of Bert's probably the last person who should be lecturing people on professionalism. <laughs> and I'll be gosh darn if the son of a pig farmer didn't block me. Uh, like thin <laughs> skin, petty, much. petty man, thin skin, much. So I, you know, my, my comment about it is this, this is where Ohio state really needs to get creative with scheduling. Stop scheduling whatever, you know, Mac team that we think we need to add to the non-conference schedule, and let's just do a crossover every single year with Illinois. Just make it yeah. happen. I mean, you make, the the, make the Illabuck a, an annual thing again, because otherwise we're not, we're not playing Illinois again to what, like 24 or yes. 25, something that's, stupid that's like stupid. that? Yeah, no good. Dumb. No bueno. So I agree. 
it's it's good to have him back in the conference and uh it's it's gonna be funny either way and that's really all i care about uh the dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com drygoods.11warriors.com shirts hats stickers all kinds of great stuff it's gonna be cold in a couple days so you might want to check out some of our nice winter gear um let's do some ask us anything and as promised i am going to get to matt in minneapolis's uh, slate of questions here and as a reminder, if you want to ask us questions, you can send them to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Uh, let's, so we got four here, and I'm going to do this. So number one, football question, and we'll have to kind of like we'll, we'll smash through these. Like a um, lightning round. Lightning round. So number one, football question, with as thin, parentheses bad, as we are at corner, has any thought been given to moving a wide receiver over to play DB? I mean, it worked pretty well for Chris Campbell. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say, uh, no, there's been no thought given to it. That just doesn't, I, no, I, I don't believe that doesn't happen in football anymore. People like, I mean, I love, I love the Chris Gamble story, but I, I I just don't, I don't think it happens. Does not happen in football. Uh, two, do you ever think Jeff Halfley would take the, uh, team up North job if offered thus creating a new 10 year war? Uh, I mean, maybe sure. Yeah, sure. There's never say never. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who I think spent, you know, a hundred years at Ohio state and is suddenly yeah. like, like, like if, if you're talking about Luke fickle, I'm probably like, nah, I don't see that happening. If we're talking about, uh, Jeff Halfley. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but, yeah. but, but right now, like if I'm Halfley, unless it's a, unless it's a money thing, you know, Boston's not a bad town to live in. Uh, he's doing pretty darn great with the, uh, you know, the recruits he had on the table when he got there and he's recruiting pretty darn great oh, he is. in his yeah. first go around here. So I, I, I don't know. I'm really curious just to see, he, you know, he can make, he can make BC a contender uh, in, in the not too distant future. So I think so too, and I also think his sights are set in the NFL, not a major college program. Honestly, and and if it's a major college program, I don't know that it's a total rebuild like Michigan. No, no, I don't think he's interested in that. Uh, number three, favorite Christmas or holiday cookie? Oh, well, uh, I I like cookies in general. Um, probably I would say just like the you know buttercream frosted sugar cutouts, kind of like the Cheryl's cookie style. Like that's, that's, that's probably my jam, I guess. Okay. Uh, my, my mother-in-law makes something called a Lebkuchen that mm. uh, is, is very different. And I really like, it's kind of like a, oh, it, it, I don't even know how I want to describe it. It's not really hard. It's a little chewy, um, kind of gingerbready ish. Mm. I, I really don't know how to describe it, but I, but I quite like that. Okay. I, you know, I, I'm a very, so I like all kinds of cookies. I'll, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll oatmeal raisin. I'm, I'm, I'm really not snooty or picky when it comes nope. to that. Uh, or food in general, really. I'll eat anything. But um, I like the traditional holiday Christmas sugar cookie with the kind of hard frosting on top. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's just, I love, I can just eat those all day, which I shouldn't, but I do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. actually, a student of mine made me this tin. Like, we did kind of a gift exchange. And, and usually, it's pretty, like, not a big thing. But she made me this... Uh, like plastic bin of cookie bin is really the best word for it it's literally like 10 pounds of cookies cam what are you doing like thank you for the cookies they're delicious and i enjoyed them a lot i they damn near killed me they're so good and i can't stop eating i i had to physically restrain myself from eating these freaking cookies so I'm, I'm a big fan of holiday cookies. They're great, particularly when they come free for my students. So thank you, Cam, for doing that. Last one here. This is from uh, Kieran. Uh, and uh, this is uh, from nine-year-old Kieran, his uh, Matt's son. 
uh, maybe Johnny can tell me, <laughs> this is a direct quote. Maybe Johnny can tell me how my Papa Howard, my mom's dad, not to wear his PM blue <laughs> t-shirt ever again. Uh, uh, apparently he's a subway alumni. doesn't have a specific uh, association with team up North. Karen thinks I'm more qualified to answer the question, but also wants Andy's input. Uh, don't ask me to explain the mysteries of why the nine-year-old or how the nine-year-old mind worked. Um, well, Karen, here's what I'll say. Uh, just tell him that it makes him like, it just, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say that. I don't know. Let me think. Let me think about this. Cause this is the tough week. Cause this is tough. Here's the thing, Karen. And, and I'm going to be straight up with you. I have a secret dark past. I, in fact, when I was your age, there is a picture of me in my, I think third grade or whatever grade you're in classroom, like our class photo wearing a Michigan sweatshirt and it is the bane of my existence. And I don't think it's capable of being destroyed. Like, I don't think you can put it in the trash. I think it'll reappear on the mantle. It's, it's still in my parents' house. It's very hard. Once you've donned that, that shirt, it's very hard to get rid of it. So what I would say is just tell them that it's cursed, that there's some kind of he- hex on it, some kind of witch's spell and that you have to exercise it, like get rid of it and have some kind of like, I don't know, ceremony to a try to, priest to and an old priest. It. Yeah, you've got it. You've got to find some way to like have a ceremony to get that hex off of it so that it can be like sent off into the land of wind and ghosts from whence it came because it's not something that's easily removable. So what I'll say is, is do some research and figure out ways to get rid of a curse. And uh, maybe then he will finally be able to stop wearing it. That's my advice. I don't know. Andy, do you? <laughs> nah, hey, you know what? uh but yeah old priest and young priest that that might work pour, pour um, some, pour some salt on it you know that's the other thing uh, my my my, my just well, spill a ton of salt on it next time he wears it just dump a ton yeah. of salt on that dude and we see laugh whenever that. we watch you know like mo- movies or tv shows that sort of have that occult thing to it you know the, the stunning mrs vance is always like it's you know you have to salt it's always salt like that's the they, these people don't know that the uh, uh occult uh rending properties of salt you just yeah you know, there you get, go so there you go. Just do Excellent it. Excellent questions. I'm, I'm, I'm with Johnny. Yeah. Thank you, Matt and Kieran. I hope I pronounced uh, Kieran's name right. But yeah, thank you both for sending those questions. And those are excellent. Uh, this one's from St. Louis Wookie. Simple question. Do you think it's time to start paying Ryan Day? Uh, yes. <laughs> How much? <laughs> Dear Andy. Whatever it takes. I, I mean, look, like this is my thing with, with Ryan Day. Uh, he has been every bit as good as advertised you know, so, so far the recruiting to think that you were going to follow urban Meyer and actually maybe get better at recruiting mm-hmm. is mind blowing in and of itself. Uh, two, I really feel like the big 10 championship game was maybe the first game where I started to see that urban Meyer like tendency to revert to comfort. So, yep. You know, it was just like, we were all, I think as fans collectively screaming, run the damn ball. Yeah. Uh, because it was clear, you know, like Sermon cranks off a 65 yard and then we go to like three straight passing plays or something stupid like that. And, yeah. and you know, that we just kept trying. And, and so as a quarterback coach, you know, I wonder how much of that is trying to get your guy back in rhythm. You know, like you're trying to get mm-hmm. your guy back on the horse. You're trying to protect his confidence. Everything runs through QB number one. So that, that may be part of it. You know, another part of it, maybe you have the confidence of knowing you can beat this team nine times out of 10. So you're not really worried about the upset where maybe you, maybe you don't get so cutesy poo if it's a Clemson or an Alabama and just try to keep 
banging your, your head against the wall. I, I don't know. This just, this felt to me like the first time where I was like, I don't, I don't really get what you're doing on some of these play calls. Uh, other than that, I mean, he's been a masterful play caller. You know, mm-hmm. one of the one of the best, I think, offensive minds in the business, and and the recruiting uh, has just been brilliant. I would say I'm curious to see as his staff evolves. I don't think he did a great job of replacing Jeff Halfley. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I you know, so I have some concerns about that. Like I think I don't think Kerry Combs was an upgrade. Uh, as a secondary uh, or as a defensive um, signal caller, so to speak, I, you know, we know what he can do coaching defensive backs. Um, but if you look, that secondary is not great. It's not great this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, that was one of the things I looked at with urban too. some of his rehires, you know, his first staff was pretty good. Then it got really, then it got better. Um, and he brings in Chris Ash and, he, you know, Shiano at first was good, but there were just some really boneheaded hires that Urban made too. So I want to see as, as Ryan goes on, as coach day goes on, does he make better hires the second and third time? Um, Cause his first half obviously was pretty great. So all, all that to say, yeah, pay the man, pay that, pay that man, his money to quote <laughs> the KGB. I, you know, I pay him, but I would say maybe wait another year. I, you know, like his, his contract, what I think as far as 23, I want to say, um, give him, well, depending on how well, let's see what happens with the playoff. Let's see what happens here. And then if he ends up kicking ass and Ohio State wins and then they get, you know, all the stuff and yeah, right, right, then that's great. Then, then pay him his money. I, you gotta, you gotta be smart about it though. And uh, sometimes there are diminishing returns. I don't see that necessarily with the kind of recruiting that they've been bringing in and how that's been working out, but you've, you've got to kind of keep your head on this a little bit. I wouldn't pay him quite yet. I would wait a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm also kind of a nervous Nelly and I'm, I'm, I'm not one to, to put all my, you know, chips in, in one basket, so to speak with the eggs and all the other <laughs> and count my gooses before they've laid the golden. So, um, I just I would I would wait a little bit, but I, I think if he has a really successful postseason and they look good, I might as well pay him. Especially if you're starting to get overtures from other places or you get a hint of that, lock that dude down because recruiting wise, at the very least, he's the real deal. And and everything we've seen in terms of X's and O's and game time coaching seems to be right there as well. So there's always a chance for that to change. You know, Mark Helfrich over there at Oregon looked looked like he was the real deal, right? Yeah, he was gonna right. maintain that and right. then nope, not so much. So you gotta, I'm not one to say that you can tell the answer to that um, within two years. I, I think three years is really where you start to see the middle of a coach as they have to replace guys, both personnel and, and players. And, and then you start to see what their, their program's going to look like. So I feel um, pretty, I mean, I feel pretty good on the personnel front, just looking at the recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's solid. That's yeah, and particularly solid. quarterback recruiting, right? Like that's right. Yeah, uh, is ridiculous. Or, now, now, what I find curious wide receiver like, recruiting. I tell you, the guy I want him to start paying is Brian Hartline. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to worry about that because uh, well, I mean, the how dude long is... <laughs> does Coach Hart? I feel like this is a season where you're not going to see as much movement. Um, no, like like a, a guy like Hartline can afford to be choosy and say, "Yeah, I'm not going to take the five jobs that are going to be open in the middle of a pandemic." Uh-huh. Um, well, on the other hand, like somebody's going to be knocking on his door sooner rather than later it's probably already happened and happening um so i mean there's a guy i, I look and say do whatever you need to do uh yeah. you know make him the highest paid assistant in america i don't care he's you know, or promote really worth the money. i mean 
Yeah. yeah and, and I have no idea what his aspirations are. You know, that's, I mean, that's, that, that's the other part of it. You, you look at how long Luke Fickle was on staff at Ohio state. Right. Uh, I mean, he was on staff a long time before, you know, be, becoming a head coach. So, you know, I, I don't know. He's a relatively young assistant coach. Sure. Um, and, and also thanks to, you know, his NFL career, maybe he isn't a guy who's like super hungry to make a seven figure contract as opposed to a guy who had not played in the league. Uh, right. you, you know, I, I don't know. Those are all like, I find his story just really interesting because it's very different from your typical guy who became a grad assistant right out of the, the you know, becoming uh, right after playing college ball and, and so on. Like, it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic with him, but man, nobody is doing it better than he is right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is definitely, I agree. I think that's the dude you need to lock down. Um, okay, so this is from our good friend Alvin, and he wants to know, what is the best and worst Christmas present you've ever received slash given? I will say, I have a really bad memory for this, and I'm also horrible to shop for because I never want anything. There's nothing, I don't know. My parents actually hated it when I was a kid because when they would put me in timeout, like, you can't play with your toys. I'm like, fine. That's not, like, it wasn't something that bothered me. I never really, like, there was nothing that I was really, really excited about that I really wanted um there's no jingle all the way kind of stuff going on in our house um but a couple years ago uh my actually this might have been a birthday present but you know what i'm going to i want to count this anyway uh, my wife got me a cincinnati reds like old school throwback jacket like from the you know for the lou Pinella days you know what i mean the red one nice. where it's got like like i got i got one of those with the big cincinnati on the front um i think it was for christmas might have been for my birthday either way it was super freaking amazing and i loved it and i would say i've given some really dumb gifts in the past um because i'm just as as bad as i am at like receiving gifts i'm also really bad at giving gifts because i just don't my brain just doesn't think about this and i'm pretty sure i gave uh my mom when i was like a teenager i think i gave her the same like exact same scarf like two years in a row nice like, yeah scarves are great it's like nobody ever wears scarves very, yeah. <laughs> she's like no it's awesome oh now i have two and i'm like oh damn it so i've i've probably done that more than once or and maybe more often than i'm willing to admit so looking at uh mine i, I i'm i have to tell you this is a, a gift that i'm very excited about and this is a birthday gift rather than a christmas gift so my birthday's four days after christmas you can okay. plan, so plan same accordingly difference. now yep plan accordingly now um so the stunning mrs vance knows that i am an animal lover you know of course i've talked about growing up on the farm raising cattle uh if i had my druthers i'd i'd probably just be an old cow hand and and, and that that sure. would be that would be life I, I love cows but as as a natural extension of my love for animals i'm a zoo junkie as well so we've been oh, nice loyal Same. members I love of the zoos. Columbus zoo great. yeah and, and we're fortunate in columbus to have one of the the, the two best zoos in the country um it just really really very fortunate so i love the zoo so for my birthday this year the stunning mrs vance has uh has gotten me a, an experience uh helping bathe the elephants at the columbus zoo wow. on my birthday so that's cool I, I am super stoked yeah i i didn't know that was even a thing that i could think about doing. either so she had to tell me about it ahead of time because we were you know doing the scheduling and all that sort of thing but i am i am super stoked that um that that may 
be the best present anyone has ever gotten me. That's so, kick ass. That's great. Yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to this for, so, I mean, she told me a week or two ago and, and I've just been kind of buzzing about it ever since. So that's, that's, that's pretty righteously high up there uh, on the list of best gifts I've ever received for sure. Um, you know, best gifts I've ever given, you know, I've done some of the stereotypes. Like I, I got, I got my brother a puppy one year. I got my mother a puppy one year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I've done that by the way. Now, later on as a, as, as a dog enthusiast, I don't recommend that you give puppies as Christmas gifts because far too often, uh, you know, six weeks after Christmas, uh, those puppies end up in shelters. So not, not oh, in yeah. the case of, of the puppies I gave both of them, uh, you know, we're, we're loved and cherished and so on, but, uh, don't give animals as gifts. Uh, if you want to give somebody a puppy, get them in on the act, give them the certificate and then get them in on the act. Um, don't just take here, here's a dog. Uh, so, so I've, I've done that, you know, those are probably gifts that at the time I thought were great gifts that looking back, I'm like, maybe I'd like to have that one back in the chamber. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can top giving the same scarf twice. That's <laughs> I give too many gift cards now. I will say that. Like I'm at a stage in life where I don't want stuff um, so much. So it's really hard. Right. Like with my parents and, and my brother, it's, it, it's really difficult to be like, you know what I want? I want this. It's either like boring stuff that we got when we were kids, like socks and underpants, like things that you need, or like the, the stuff that I want, uh, it's like a new Suburban. So I can't just be like... <laughs> You know, mom, would you wrap? Come on, come on, put on the list. Let's go. I mean, I've seen all of these commercials, you know, where there's a bow on it. And the, so like there's a big gulf in between stuff that I just want to go buy for myself right. uh, that, that <laughs> and, and stuff that I don't really want to ask my mom to get me for Christmas anymore. So, right. yeah, that, that, so I'm, I'm really tough. So that consequent to that, I probably give too many gift cards because I'm just like, yeah, I don't really want anything. So just give me a gift card. See, the problem is, is that when I get stuff like that, I just don't use it. And I, <laughs> I think I just, within the past month, like five or six years ago, maybe even longer than that, maybe seven or eight years ago, my brother-in-law, who at the time was not my brother-in-law, just, you know, my, my girlfriend's brother, <laughs> uh, gave me like $30 in iTunes gift cards. And I yeah. just used them two months ago. I, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you on better, Johnny. I I spoke at a conference. I kid you not, at least three years ago, and maybe four or five. And I was rooting through some stuff that I had taken out of my wallet. It, like my wallet had gotten too fat, um, yeah. and and so I took a bunch of stuff out of it. Probably when we moved a year ago, and this pile of stuff I took out of my wallet has just basically been sitting on my credenza in my office. And so I was rooting through, and it's stuff like. Uh, my Jimmy John's rewards card or, you know, like my library card, uh, you, you know, cause I've got my card number memorized. So I don't need to carry it or it's, you know, the little punch card from <laughs> right. the sandwich shop or whatever. And in that pack of stuff, I kid you not, it was a $250 gift certificate to Ruth's Chris. And I'm like, why have I been like, that was the gift I got for <laughs> speaking at this conference. You know, it was just like a little, like, that's funny. I've been sitting on this. That's hilarious. Like, Especially like, for you. For I can't three or that. four years. Yeah, I I lost my mind when I realized that. It was still was it still valid? Did oh it yeah, it's I, oh yeah. I went and checked that out. Nope. Still oh, good. Okay. Still good. So yeah, that right. may be that so after I washed the elephants on my birthday, <laughs> we we're gonna go get steaks. You know, like that's the <laughs> That's a good companion piece. It it, it works out really well, but I yeah. I found that I'm like, this has been sitting <laughs> That's hilarious. for literally years that's that's really know, funny god yeah anyway 
That's an endangered species in the Vance household. That's no us. kidding. No kidding. I am super <laughs> excited. There's a, a new butcher shop opened uh, half a block away from us. So yeah, I'm oh, about, right to, on. I'm about okay. to go hog wild, I think on, or the, you know, it's, I'm a big carnivore as it is. And yep. now that uh, there's a new meat market, uh, you know, five doors down, it's about to get ugly up in here. So by the way, shout out uh, Southwestern Ohio, Franklin uh, Zinks uh, meat market. If anybody knows that shout, shout, I'm going to shout them out. I love they're, it. They're, awesome franklin institution always a time um, always a time for meat market shout outs on this show yeah uh okay so that's the dubcast this week we'll be back and it, the time will be nigh uh when we when we return and we will be back to break down the clemson game and all the other games and probably just uh you know shake out a lot of nervous energy that i think we'll have um but see, until then I'm, we'll, we'll see on the other side of christmas oh yeah that's i mean that's that's right it's coming up so soon so we hope you enjoyed this. We'll see you on the other side. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you then.